Last weekend was a very active weekend, and I've been meditating on that this week. And I'll be honest with you, while the events of last weekend were, um, were moving along quickly, but it was a very busy weekend if you were involved in all of it. And uh, I was looking forward to it being over on the one hand, because then things would slow down a little bit. But I was excited the whole time about the kind of events that were taking place and what it, what it meant about life and energy and ministry here in this congregation. I just want to give you a glimpse of what I saw uh, because I know that not all of us were involved in everything. But last weekend, on Friday, our, uh, our elders had a retreat And they do this so that they'll have some time to be quiet, to think about God and think about what God is calling them to do and and so that they can improve their work together. And they met a new friend, a man named John Mulliken, who works with a ministry called Hope Network, which uh, works to encourage church leaders. And there was a wonderful moment on Saturday when the ministry staff joined the elders and we started naming the strengths of this congregation and everyone had a clear you you didn't see anybody scratching their head wondering you know well well, I don't know what what are we good at there were clear strong statements that this is a strength and this is a strength and then when it came to uh, the point where John asked us well what has God provided once again we could name those things and we could see that God had provided well. You, w- there was also the recognition that God has uniquely equipped this congregation for just such a time as this, to use the language of Mordecai to Esther. One of those events that you'll hear more about coming up is an event in February. And I realize that we haven't said a lot about this yet, and it's probably because there's been so many good things happening, we didn't want it to get lost in the mix. But This is your unofficial announcement of that. Back earlier this year, um, Jordan and Meredith Brown told us about an event with the Tim Tebow Foundation called A Night to Shine. And what it does is it recognizes special needs children. It gives them a special event to be the kings and queens of that event. And we thought about it and we said, you know, it seems like God has especially equipped us to minister to families with special needs children. We have people here who are passionate about that and skilled about that. But Jordan said, let's apply. And, of course, I have to because, you know, from, from their side of things, I'm the pastor. So, uh, whatever. And uh, so I have to, you know, help out with the application when, when really the Browns know everything that there is to know about this as far as I'm concerned. But... Jordan just told me, he said, um, you know, it's not really likely we'll get this. Um, You know, I mean, it's a long shot. I said, yeah, okay, let's do it anyway. We got approved. And not only did we get approved, they even ponied up some some Tim Tebow money so that this would would happen too. Um, This is a good thing, but we're looking at it in terms of God has provided this opportunity. He's given us this opportunity. And we'll tell you more about that. But the excitement that we've experienced since then, we look at it not so much as one more thing to do, but it's as if, wow, God really is putting us in action. He's putting us out there where we can 
make a difference. And you see this over and over again. The, um, you see the, the opportunities, the doors that are opening. The, the weekend that we spent with Dan Bouchelle when he was here in August. And all of us were recognizing a strength and an opportunity. Reaching out across the street to the campus. There's 15 different nations. Think about this. We, we represent 13 nations, including our own. And there are 15 other nations, some of them may be the same, I don't know exactly what they are. But when you consider the mission's wisdom that is packed into this campus, John, when he was living in Texas, was, um, you, you were minister of missions at Hillcrest, right? You've got mission wisdom right there, the, the, the trips that Rick has taken for years, and he's been involved with missionaries in different places. Then you have our missions committee, and then we have all of you who've done so much. That mission's wisdom doesn't just get packed up and put on a shelf when we're in Fort Smith. It's still here. And you think about the opportunities that could happen. God is preparing us in a special way. The other events that happened last weekend, what a Sunday we had last Sunday, Mission Sunday. We had a special class where Tom Carr told us how our work in Africa is making a difference for the health of people as well as their spiritual well-being. And then uh, Jack Harriman. Some of you remember Jack Harriman. He came back to visit. Now, if, if after listening to Jack's sermon, you somehow doubt that we can do this, I don't think I can help you. I, I don't think anybody can help you. And I apologize, I haven't taught you about all those obscure Hebrew characters that he brought up. I will have to call him out, though. He taught you that Bildad the Shuhite and Job is the smallest man in the Bible. Shuhite, get it? Okay. I meant to tell Jack this, I should. Actually, that's not correct. The smallest man in the Bible is the centurion who fell asleep on his watch. Get it? Yeah, I know. Uh, man. That's not one of the greater things that happened this weekend. The, um, we, can, <laughs> we can do better. Make jokes, break it again. Anyway, the, uh, <laughs> that was pretty good. You know, the best part of that that I recall, not just the food, but we had three congregations in unity. The Iglesia de Cristo from Johnson Street joined us. The Lao congregation from right here joined us. And what an amazing fellowship we had. And we need to do more of that, not just for missions weekend. But we were recognizing that there's a, there's a unity there of different cultures. Why? Because of the Spirit of Christ. Because of, of, of what we've done over the years and the generations here. If you stuck around for the prayer session, and I'm going to confess to you, we had a prayer session after that, and uh, we had had the meal, and oh, I'm, I'm full, I'm tired after this big weekend. I honestly sat through the prayer session saying, I'm ready to go home, I'm ready to go home. I know, I know, I know, but I was glad to be there, don't get me wrong. I was tired, but I was praying, and I was listening to others pray, and I thought, this is a fantastic moment. Because I started thinking about how God would respond to the prayers that were being delivered at that moment. And I was thinking that a year from now, or who knows when, 
We need to remember these prayers somehow and pay attention to what God is doing. Oh, it happens so often around here, church. We need to just remember that. So when you, when you pray those prayers, write them down. Put them on Facebook. Email it or something so we can come back later. You know how Facebook's in the habit of showing you all these little memories of things that you posted before? You know, some of them you're glad about, some of them you're not. Uh, wouldn't it be great to see one of those prayers pop up on your screen and then you recognize how that prayer has been answered? Even if it was answered in a way that you didn't experience or expect, but what you take away from that is you see how God has been active in our world and in our lives. And then Monday night, we had trunk or treat. And it was so alive and it was so active. And those of you who came to that event, you, you were out there celebrating my birthday and everybody was just... But there was, it, was, it was so much fun. It was the first time we'd ever done that. We didn't really know what to expect, but, but, but there was so much energy. And then people from the community were coming in, and they were saying, this church, the people of this church, they, uh, they're putting this little event together so that we can enjoy it. And I know that myself and others said that you had a lot of families come up to you and say, thank you for doing this. I'm glad that our family has a place to participate in this. There was an energy there. There was an activity there that shows how God has equipped and blessed this congregation. And in the background of all of this, our our youth group has a retreat over in Oklahoma, and they join with two other youth groups, and they're growing. And I know that they're growing, growing spiritually even, because my youngest son, he said to me, I really like the speaker. I thought he had some interesting things to say, and I know that it was helping him grow all of this activity is going on and i think the fact that it was condensed in that one weekend for me made me pay attention to it because sometimes we take it for granted that these things are just going to happen sometimes we take it for granted that things like this are well that's just part and parcel of what we do i'm amazed that the things that we do the things that these different mission groups do The things that ministries like uh, John Mulliken and Hope Network, all the things that they do, it's all funded by generosity. It's all funded by people who care to make that happen. And it amazes me. You know, sometimes when we get to talking and we say, well, where are we going to get the money? Where's the money going to come from? Money's going to come from the same place it always comes from. I don't know of any other way. We don't have a printing press in the basement of this church that prints money. We don't even have a basement in this church. We're not finding buried treasure anywhere. We don't have an expedition to go and gather Spanish uh, doubloons somewhere. You know, maybe we should. Maybe we should think about that. But once again, it's all going to come from the same place. Generosity, knowing that God has provided in all of the things we do. And it's not just money, but it's time and it's energy and it's creativity. So here we are now today, and we have before us opportunities to give. And I want to go ahead and mention the financial side of all of this. And I want you to know, first of all, that the finances that go into this and and those who work on these finances, none of it's secret. 
Okay, we make the, we, as they say, the books are open. In other words, it's an open process. And so we share this very reasonably. The way a good family sits down and says, okay, we need to look at our finances. We need to look at what we've got. We need to look at what we want to spend our money on. Well, like a family, we do that as well. The missions number has been given to you, 237,665. That's the amount that it will take in 2017 to fund all of the works that are on those pages that are out there. And we have people dedicated to putting that information together for all of us to consider. Now, maybe you weren't able to give today. That's okay. You can give next week if you want to be a part of it. You can give at any time. Um, We set this day up, but, you know, even the IRS will take your money after April 15th, okay? So, uh, and they might take a little more even if you wait after that. But there's always an opportunity to give. And Scripture says we give as we have prospered. Meaning that when we recognize what God has given to us, we give. There's another number I want to mention to you. The number that can get overlooked. We have, the way we do our budget around here at this church is we have a fiscal year. It goes from October 1 to October 1. So for financial reasons, we're, we're in 2017. That's, we're already in that fiscal year. And I guess it's just, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's, it's like some other calendar or something like that. Why do we do that? I really don't know. And I've asked that for years, and I've just come to accept it, okay? So there it is. If you really need to know, someone smarter than me can explain that to you. But what our leaders do, our ministry leaders and our elders do, is they, they take the time to say, you know, what's, what's our plan going to look like? What do, we need to, what do we need to expect as a contribution from the generosity of our people every week? And the number for fiscal year 2017 was set, as it has been for the last couple of years, 17000 per week. As you'll notice in your bulletin, sometimes we do better than that sometimes we come under that but we want to get an average right there but it's a goal it's something for each of us to think about here's what i want you to know from all of this that as a family as a congregation there has been responsible planning things have been considered in terms of how they fit into the mission how how does this help us accomplish the opportunities that god has set before us How does this help us grow in areas where we think we can be very effective? Jesus said, before someone builds a tower, he's going to sit down, he's going to count the cost. We've got to count the cost of discipleship. And that means more than money, I get that. But it also involves that as well. Because economy and money is a big part of our lives. It's what you're going to spend a majority of your time this week doing, working for a living. Or you're going to be spending money to take care of yourself and and your goods and your family, shouldn't that also then fall under the kingdom? Or do we somehow believe that finances and and, and economy and our family and for ourselves, that that somehow operates over in some separate secular category that has nothing at all to do with a discipled life? Don't believe it. Don't believe it. It all fits underneath the rule of the kingdom of God. And there's been responsible spending on this. <coughs> you can ask those who 
take care of this about the details. I was pretty excited this year. You know, we've, we've got people who've, who've done good work. We've got people who've enabled us to cut spending in areas where we're not sweating it, but it's areas where it's like, you know what? If we can save in that area, that's good in the long run. So the next time, you know, you're using one of our bathrooms here and the light suddenly goes out on you, just remember we're saving money. And I'm not going to apologize for that. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a real good thing. But all of that stuff is meant to... It means that you've got people who are being responsible and creative in that responsibility so that we'll continue to do better. I hear that there's plans with these lights, and I think we're going to switch out to a different kind of light that will even save money. I mean, there's so many opportunities. It all comes from generosity. It all comes from giving. Why do we give? Ask yourself that. Why do we give? I mean, I think I'm, if, if you've never thought about that, but you're a consistent giver, then God bless you. But I want you to know why that's a part of what you do as a disciple. And if you've ever wondered what it means to be a disciple and also give, I want to give you three things to think about. And if you've never thought, well, I don't really have anything to give, or if I have something to give, it's not much, I really want to encourage you because you've got something to give, and I want you to know why giving goes hand in hand with being a disciple. Three things. Number one, giving is thanks. We're coming on the season of Thanksgiving. One of the things I love about that is some of you on social media are going to start posting Reasons why you're grateful. <clears throat> Reasons why you're thankful. Good. You do that. I love to read that. Um, and, and it does encourage people. But we often assume that thanksgiving is, is one thing in and of itself. But what if giving is thankfulness? That you have thanks and you have giving. And what if giving has to do with gratitude? I want to show you a scripture, 2 Corinthians 9. The Corinthians get a, a word from Paul about giving that is, that's just one of the best. As you think about giving and as you think about what your part is for the upcoming year, I want you to think about 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 13 I'm going to back up a little bit. He says, Now the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You see the link between it here. Now, there's all this seed talk. And, you know, that language of the farm may honestly be lost on us. Um, I've got a little bit of experience with that, but I never depended on farming to survive. Uh, We would have to plant seeds and harvest what we planted, but that was always just kind of an extra. So I get the idea of this seed, but what you're talking about here is talking about survival i mean if you're depending on your crops to grow that's going to feed you if those crops go bad 
Or if you don't have the seed to plant, you're going to go hungry. Paul says here that the one who supplies that seed, I mean, you, 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 can't, you can't even go into the business of planting and harvesting your own food without first getting some kind of provision for, from God. There's a lot of people today who want to live off the grid. They want to be independent. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to farm. We're going we're gonna to plant our own food. We're going you know, to make our own energy. We're going to be self-sustaining. And yet somewhere in that cycle, you are going to begin with something that you did not make. That's God. That's God. He gave you that seed. What dirt are you going to plant it in? You know, we don't make our own dirt. We don't make our own earth. Where does the rain come from? I mean, at some point, you're going to be, you're going to find yourself dependent on the provision of God. And Paul says that that's the kind of thing that you can count on. Because he's going to enrich you in every way. And I know that that verse reads a little differently in different translations. It says you're going to be enriched in every way. It says you're going to be made rich. I want to cast out a bad idea. You've heard of prosperity gospels or explanations of this where the seed is um, you know, the money that you put in the plate. If I give God a $20 bill then he's going to give me $2,000. You'll see guys on TV who claim to know the Scripture, and they'll say things like that. Send me your seed offering, and God will bless you. I always wondered, why didn't that guy just send his money to God and then let God bless him and just leave me alone, you know? Well, it's funny how that works out, isn't it? It's like the guy who said, quick way to make $1,000, send $2 to this address. The guy said, oh, man, i got to see this. So he says, I, I, I sends off his $2. He gets a kit back in the mail, and it says, put an ad in the paper that says, here's how you can get $1,000, send $2 to your address. Everybody's wanting you to buy gold right now. Buy gold. Why? Because the economy's going to fall. How are you going to buy that gold with that lousy Confederate money that's going to go away? That doesn't make sense to me. That's not what this scripture is about. And don't believe it when people tell you that giving is about giving so that God then duplicates that and gives you more back. God doesn't give us material wealth just to comfort us and pad us in life. Scriptures show us that God gives us means and wealth so that we can be more generous. Matthew 10 verse 8 I don't know, I'm kind of reading this a little differently, but it, it, it fits. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 8, is, um, is about riches. And, and, and his disciples are, are amazed that uh, a man who had wealth is not somehow blessed by God. You'll see the same idea in the parable that Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus. And from their worldview, the man who was rich was like God's favorite. And poor Lazarus, he he was a leper and he was suffering and he was living out on the street. Well, it must be because he did something to offend God. But like 
like a, like a little animated play, you know, a little cutout, a little stage. In the afterlife, it all flips around and it turns around and you realize, wait a second, Lazarus was the one who's blessed by God and the rich man wasn't. God doesn't give us wealth just to show it off or just to show how much he blesses us. God has blessed us and enriched us in many ways. And in Matthew 10, he says to his disciples, because they're saying, well, who can be saved? I mean, if it's hard for the rich to be saved because they don't trust in you, if it's hard for people like this rich young man who comes to you and he won't part with his wealth, well, then how does this work? Jesus says, with human beings, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now notice what they say next. Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Peter might be getting the idea that, it, oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw a little in. Okay, I guess things are going to work out well for me, right? I've invested. I've, I've put my, my earnest money in. So what do I get? Jesus said, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. It's an indicator that the kingdom values are different than the values of our world. The first thing I would tell you, though, is that the reason we give, I mean, there's so much on this, and, and, and the whole reason why we give and why it, why it should be stimulated, why we should be stimulated to give is out of gratitude. That if we begin with gratitude, a thankfulness for what God has given us, it, there's a wise saying that um, you know, gratitude can make poor men rich and ingratitude can make rich men poor. Gratitude is one of the reasons why we give. There's another reason, trust. In, in Matthew 6, you read what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's reorienting us to those kingdom values. He says, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? Look at the flowers of the field. They don't labor, they don't sow their own clothes. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, if that's how God clothes grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into a fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Pagans are those who believe that God only responds when they do everything right and do enough to win his favor. That's the pagan view of God. When people expect that charms 
good luck, rituals are going to bring them some kind of blessing, that's a pagan way of seeing the world. And you and I can be Christians and very sophisticated and yet still think, well, you know what? I'm going to give to God and then He's going to give me something back because I made Him happy. Gratitude and trust teaches us that God gave to us long before we even thought about giving to Him. I mean, you've already, you're already the recipient of God's blessings before you even knew how to thank Him properly. He's not waiting around for you to get it right. Now, He may entrust wealth to you because you've proven that you're going to do the right thing with it and it's going to bless others. He's entrusted some measure of wealth to all of us. But... 2 Corinthians 9, 6, going back to that verse, says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your own heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. That text, twisted and warped, can come up with the idea that if you don't give enough money then God's not going to give back to you. In other words, you've got to sow a big harvest so that you can get rich. It's not what it's talking about. It's saying that unless you can let go of greed and worry and stinginess, you're not going to experience the joy of giving. It's the idea of not sowing at all. I mean, if you just had seed, what good is that going to do you? I remember during those days of planting that we had on the farm, one year we had purple corn. I mean little kernels of corn, you know, purple. I think it's because it has some kind of insecticide or pesticide on it or something like that. I don't know. I was young. But here's this corn. It's got this purple stuff all over it. And I thought that was just kind of neat. It's kind of weird. It's kind of like green eggs and ham. And so we were supposed to go, and we were supposed to plant that purple corn, and I was really hopeful that we were going to grow some purple corn, and it came out regular old yellow corn. And I love that yellow corn. But I took some of that purple corn, and I kept it. I kept it, and I was like, wow, you know, now I've got some magic purple corn. I'm going to do something with this. You know, I just liked the looks of it. I thought it was neat. And I never knew that that purple corn could become all of that wonderful yellow corn that tasted so good and fed me. I mean, just one of those kernels would have taken care of me for a week. But instead, because I thought that purple corn was just something awesome, I just kept a little pile of it right there, and I thought, you know, that's, that's pretty neat. And it was not worth anything. Sometimes when you and I are hoarding our funds, I mean, that's a silly little story about a crazy guy who thought that purple corn was kind of neat. But you and I are doing the same thing. When we're taking all of this green money and dollars and cents and we're putting it aside saying, you know, this is going to be really neat. This is going to be wonderful. I'm going to take care of it and it's going to look good right here. Until you do something with some of that, you're not really experiencing what God wants done with that and what that could mean in your life. And I'm not asking you to give that so that you get more back. I'm just saying that if you're a follower of Christ, you're just happy to give it. Because you trust in him that he's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you. And just as 
he has given to you freely, you can freely give to others. Now, here's the third reason, and this is the one I really like, because of the potential. We give because when we start to get kingdom eyes and we start to get that kingdom perspective, we see everything in a completely different way. Take a look back here at Exodus. Exodus 4, Moses is told to go on a huge mission, a huge undertaking, to go before the superpower of the world. Here's Moses. What is he? He's a sheep herder. He's living out in the mountains. He's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And God, the living God, conscripts him to go to the superpower of Egypt and go tell the Pharaoh, a man who believes he's a God on earth, to let the children of Israel go to serve God. Moses is most concerned that the people of Israel are not going to believe him, that the people of Egypt won't believe him. So Moses says, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, yeah, you say this, but the Lord did not appear to you? Now, how is God going to answer that? Hmm. How do you give this man credentials to prove that he's the one who speaks on behalf of God? And God answers with a question. What have you got on you? He says, what have you got on you? Now, this is a shepherd. I mean, shouldn't he have some kind of special magical totem from heaven? Shouldn't he have some kind of like special uh, appearance or maybe an angel companion to go with him? Maybe God could give him some, some, you know, special powers or something like that. He says, no, what do you got on you? What's in your hand? My staff. It's a stick. It's good for herding sheep. That's about it. He's got a staff. God says, throw it down on the ground. Turns into a snake. Picks it back up. When his hand's empty, he puts it into his cloak. Brings it back out. It's leprous. Even with an empty hand, God is taking just what Moses has and doing something miraculous and wondrous with us. How often do we sell ourselves short saying, you know, it'd be great if we could do that, but we just don't have those resources as a church. We don't have those resources as a people. That's just not what we're capable of doing. Now, it's a very different question to say i don't think that's what god has called us to or that doesn't seem to be our mission but to check out before we've even begun by simply saying i don't think we have what it takes folks god sent moses to pharaoh and all he had in his hand was a stick when we give that up to god i mean moses has to let go of it wondrous things can be done In Matthew 19, verse 26, uh, there, let's see. Oh, yeah, that's that's the verse. Actually, I got my verses mixed up. But that's where Jesus says, with with man, all things, you know, that that with man, some things are not possible. With God, all things are possible. When When he says, when God says that all things are possible, or all things are possible with God, what does that leave out? Not a lot. All things is pretty complete. We give because we practice gratitude. We give because we trust that God will take care of us. We don't have to worry. 
We give because we see the potential in things. Sometimes you may feel like this with your money. That you might as well just dig a hole and throw it down in the hole. Heard a story about someone who went over to the casinos, took $1,000, lost $1,000. I love stories like that. Because they always point to, you know, I mean, if, 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 that, if that poor fellow had taken, uh, you know, $500 and just set it afire on his barbecue grill, he'd be $500 to the good. Think about that. When I lived in Texas and they had bingo, you know, these bingo places before they had the lottery, you would go in and you would do scratching wins. And so a friend of mine was working there and he said, yeah, he goes, today was kind of interesting. A woman came in, she bought $500 worth of scratching wins. How much did she win? 200 bucks. Really? Yeah. She was happy about that. I was thinking, so wait a second. She, she, she could have she just handed me $200 and then walked away and felt good. Yeah. Because she'd be $300 up. I mean, it is. When we stop and think about all the things we do, ask ourselves if we're just sticking money in the ground. And then I want you to remember the parable about servants, and the master entrusted them with talents, which is really money, bags of gold. And one of them thinks that the smart thing to do is to put that money in a hole. Because then when the master comes back, he says, look, at least I didn't lose your money. Master doesn't seem too pleased with that. I think sometimes when we uh, think that God wants us to hoard money on earth, ask yourself, when Christ comes back and we've got that money, Is he going to be proud that we got him a really great interest rate at the local bank? Or is he going to be saying, I gave that money so you could do all these wondrous, amazing things in my name. I think if we stop and think about these things, we'll find out how easy it is to give. I want you to join me, and I'll join you, and let's just all join in on this journey of giving. Would you pray with me? Father... I pray that you'll help us to see things your way, to see things through kingdom eyes, that every bit of wealth and resource that we have, we'll look at it in a different way, that we'll put it in perspective and we'll understand that you can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Father, I want to pray for the person who thinks that they don't have anything to give, but I I pray that you'll help them to see that a dollar given in your name can do mighty and wondrous things. That growing in giving becomes a practice and a discipline of faith. Father, I pray that you would teach me that. I pray that you would teach me more and more how to use what you have given me to glorify your name. Father, may we all do this by offering you first and foremost our hearts and our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. When you were baptized into Christ, you gave God your life. You said that he could do more with it than what you could do. That was the statement you were making. You said when you were baptized that you could do more, that God could do more with your life than you could do on your own. If you haven't been baptized yet, then I want you to know that that's possible, that you can turn your life over to God and he'll do far more with your life than you can do on your own. And here's the thing, he does multiply it, but not just to give you good things here and now. Right here and now, 
He gives us eternal life. And that's something that we receive as a gift from the great giver. Let's stand. Let's sing this song together. If you need to respond, we'll be down here to receive your responses.